These are the words of the Apostle Paul to you and I. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words and their power in our life and in this world. I pray that you would help us through your spirit to discern them, understand them, and apply them for your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we continue this week with our series, Ephesians, Our Identity and Purpose, today's message is entitled, War and Peace, Part Two. I started last Sunday morning with this part of our armor uh, that God has for us as Paul is sharing with us about this galactic war that we're facing and it is a spiritual war. And so he calls us to fight spiritual warfare with spiritual armor. I've told you that this is for Christians because non-Christians don't have any armor. They are helpless in pawns of whatever evil that Satan wants to purport in their lives and wants to use them for in this dark world. But for believers in Christ, God doesn't call us to be battered around by Satan. He expects us to put on his full armor and he has called us to have victory. And you and I can, through Christ and in this armor, defeat Satan every single time if we're willing to fight the fight. Last week, we looked at the first part of it, and that was the belt of truth buckled around our waist. And we talked about that. You can go back and look at that if you were not here on our website or on our Facebook page and look at that message. But today we come to the part of the breastplate. We're gonna look at that. And then we're gonna look at the shoes that you and I are to wear as well, what that means. But first we look at the breastplate which represents righteousness. I know that because it says the breastplate of righteousness in place. So in place means you put it on and have it where it's supposed to be. The breastplate was the central part of a Roman soldier's armor. It protected all the vital organ, organs, the heart, the, uh, the liver, the lungs, and all those other things that you have to have in order to live. And so it was a critical piece of armor. That part hasn't changed. Even today in the 21st century, police officers and military personnel may wear bulletproof vests. It doesn't cover the arms or the legs or the feet or even the head. It's designed for a single purpose and that is to protect all of your vital organs from, from uh, weapon fire that might come against them. And so this part of the armor, we really do understand. It's a direct correlation uh, how essential it is to have this on if you're in the middle of a firefight. If I, and I'm not a military person, I've never been in the military. By the way, my daughter is, is, just has two weeks left in her basic training, we're very proud, in the Air Force, and so be praying for her. But, um, but I know if I were in the middle of a fight, I'd sure want a bulletproof vest on. I'd want a helmet on and everything, every other piece of armor I could get as well. Um, but here he is, he's talking about this breastplate. Uh, what does he mean by that? Well, it says breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean? Are you righteous? Do you feel righteous? Do you know people who you think are really righteous? You might be surprised. To be righteous, and this is not intended to be difficult theologically, to be righteous simply is, means to do what is right in God's eyes. To be righteous is to do what is right in God's eyes, not the world's eyes or our eyes, but in God's eyes. That is, he's the standard of right or wrong. 
It means right standing before God. It isn't being right in the eyes of other people, but right with God. And literally, I'm going to go to Psalm 23 here. This is great theology in Psalm 23. So many good lessons. Righteousness simply means right path. David wrote Psalms from the perspective of a sheep. We had two services here at First Baptist Church this week, two funerals for wonderful people who passed away and went to, to be with their Savior in heaven, Brother Elam and, and Miss Nell uh, Strickland. What a wonderful lady she was and what a great guy Dennis was as well. And we, they will definitely be missed. But when I preach funerals at the graveside, I almost always share Psalm 23. It's a powerful psalm, and it talks about walking through those valley of dark shadows, the valley of the shadow of death. So I think that's why it's so popular at funerals. But here David is talking about uh, going down the right path. And I always say David knew what it meant to be on the right path. He began his life as a young boy. He was a shepherd, and throughout his teenage years, before he became king, he was a shepherd. That is, he had a flock of sheep. The Bible tells us that he defended those sheep against the bear or the bear and the lion. And so uh, two of the most ferocious animals you can go up against. And he was fearless in that. If I walked out the back door this morning and immediately stumbled onto a lion, um, I don't know what would happen, but there would be running and screaming uh, <laughs> involved. And I would get back in the building as quickly as I could. I go outside and there's a yellow jacket and I, I run like a scared girl. I don't like yellow jackets at all. I can imagine a lion. But David faced them and he faced them fearlessly. When he went up against Goliath, there was no fear. It was almost a spiritual arrogance. It was an audacity, a, a boldness that he had. He, he was stunned and amazed, even as a young boy, as to why his brothers and King Saul and all these soldiers are just standing there watching this Philistine giant. It didn't bother him one bit that Goliath was a giant. Remember what he said? Who is this uncircumcised fellow? Who is this ungodly man that he should defy the armies of the living God? He had no fear at all because he knew God was with him. And so this breastplate of righteousness, what does that mean? In Psalm 23, he says this. In verse three, David, speaking from the perspective of the sheep, he says, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Well, here's what David's saying. As a sheep, God, the shepherd, leads us down the right path. Literally, it's what he's saying. Now, as a shepherd, he knew that his job as a shepherd was to lead the sheep down the right path. It was never to lead them down the wrong path. He, you don't need a shepherd for that. The sheep already knew how to take the wrong path. For you and me, we don't need a shepherd, a government, or anybody else telling us how to go down the wrong path. Trust me, we already know how to do that just fine. What we need is a shepherd that teaches us how to go down the right path, that leads us down paths of rightness. And then for his name's sake, it mentions. In Israel, during the time of Christ, there was a pandemic of false righteousness. We refer to it as being self-righteous. You hear that term? So how do you tell if somebody's righteous 
or self-righteous? How can you tell if we are being righteous or we're being self-righteous? I think that's an important question in life because for Christ, it was one of the, the most significant barriers that he had to face among the religious leaders of the day between real righteousness and false righteousness. It was a group of people we know of as the Pharisees who were exposed by Jesus as having this phony, fake righteousness. So what, what, what made their righteousness fake? What made it pretend righteousness? Because certainly the Pharisees would have told you their righteousness was genuine, but Jesus exposed it as fake. They falsely believed that they were the ones, they were the ones who decided who was and who was not righteous. They are, again, as I've told you before, they are what I call assistant gardeners in the analogy that Jesus gave, that God is the gardener and Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And as branches, our job is to bear much good fruit. But they don't bear good fruit. They don't have to because they are the assistant gardener. They're helping God with the judging. <laughs> That's false righteousness. It drove Jesus crazy. It just really got to him. That phoniness. Their own righteousness was only skin deep. Now they had an obsession about the righteousness of others because they already started with the assumption that they themselves were righteous. But their righteousness was only skin deep. In public, it was a matter of how they spoke, how they dressed, where they went, and who they spoke to. That was really important to them, those, those three things. A matter of how they spoke, well, four things, how they spoke, how they dressed, where they went, and who they spoke to. Remember, Jesus did just the opposite. He spoke in a common language that everybody could understand. The, the, the Pharisees used this super righteous preacher type language. So they sounded really holy and they prayed these prayers that were very flowery and very spiritual sounding, but Jesus saw right through it. They always dressed like a Pharisee. They were always dressed to kill with their certain Pharisee outfit that they wore. Jesus dressed just like everybody else. He knew that what you wear doesn't make you a good person or righteous at all. It doesn't make you unrighteous. Um, and where they went. You know, Jesus went to places the Pharisees wouldn't be caught dead in. In fact, they confronted Jesus on that very thing. And, and who he spoke to. Jesus was willing to speak to tax collectors and prostitutes and people of ill repute, people that the Pharisees wouldn't have anything to do with. And they assumed that because Jesus was willing to spend time with them, that he was somehow dirtied because of it or that he was fake or false because of it. But it was their own righteousness that was pretend. Jesus referred to them in the Bible as blind guides, whitewashed tombs, serpents. He called them a generation of vipers and hypocrites. They were pretenders for their own righteousness and judges for the righteousness of others, especially Jesus. Now, this is hard to imagine. They looked at Jesus and they listened to what he taught. The same lessons that we have, the same words that we have that are in red letters in our New Testament, they heard those words. 
They showed up with the rest of the crowds. They listened to Jesus as he taught these perfect, brilliant, deep lessons. Every word he spoke was perfect. And yet after hearing what Jesus had to say, they decided that he was not a righteous person as if they were in a place to judge, that they, he was fake or false. And the reason, of course, it was because he was challenging their authority. I want you to know that our world is full of falsely righteous people. And it's easy to get lost in that because everybody thinks that they're righteous. I don't see anybody on TV and the news shouting, you know, I'm unrighteous. Uh, no, no, there's always a righteous cause for everybody. I don't care how awful you are. Our prisons are full of murderers who feel that they are righteous. Everybody is righteous in our world, in their minds. And so it's, it's important that we understand what is real righteous and what is false righteousness. It is true that we as believers should use discernment that God gives us to determine what is true, what is noble, what is genuine, and what is of God and what is of not. There's clearly taught in the Bible that we should have discernment between what is genuine and what is not. However, there are many who call themselves Christians who do nothing but use this concept of righteousness to condemn others, and particularly other believers. I call them, as I've told you before, the cult of the Pharisee. Oh, it's very tempting to be in that cult because you're so righteous. They are on a perpetual witch hunt. Their torches are always lit and they are always looking for someone to burn at the stake. They are rampant, listen to me, they are rampant on social media and they are whitewashed tombs, they are vipers. Be careful. Be careful that you don't fall in with that group because I, by the way, you can look at on social media. The only social media I have is Facebook and I'm, I'm tempted to get off of that. If you look at my posts and people ask me from time to time, if you go, you can look at all my posts over the years and uh, you will, what you'll see is, is more, is important, but what you won't see is also important. I don't, I don't, I don't preach on social media. It's not a theological forum. If you want to hear me preach, come to church. I'd be happy to preach at you. <laughs> but I don't get, I could every day, and I've got pastor friends, they just get on there and they're just going at it all the time. They, everything's a sermon. But not just pastor friends. I know people, I've got friends that aren't even Christians. They don't believe in Christ at all. And they preach and preach and preach their gospel of whatever on there. Be careful because everybody's righteous. We get to decide, apparently, whether we're righteous. And, and really, our perspective of reality is we are righteous, or at least we're more righteous than that guy or that group or those people or that nation. We, we always find somebody lower on the totem pole of righteousness, and then we slander them and condemn them. Be careful. Be wary of the cult of the Pharisee. It is a phony righteousness that's being offered you. And don't give way to that. And so I see that inside the church. I've got, <clears throat> I see posts and articles that are written online from people who are devout Christians, they claim. And all they do is 
slander and condemn other Christians. Any denomination that don't believe what their denomination believes, they should be on the chopping block. And it's easy for us to get caught up in that as well. Be careful of the cult of the Pharisee. But we see it not only in the church, we see a whole lot of righteousness going on outside the church as well. We have become a nation of protesters because we are the righteous one. We want to show and, and protest not just causes, we protest people who don't believe what we believe. They line up to undermine, uh, to, to demand change and to, uh, to condemn those who disagree. Now there's nothing inherently wrong with marches. As long as they're peaceful and productive, our nation has been a place of freedom of speech and the freedom to assemble. And I support those rights, greatly, strongly support those rights. And we have the right to march if we want to. But be careful in your marching that you don't use it as a forum to condemn anybody who disagrees with you. Many of the marches are neither peaceful nor productive. They are violent and destructive, filled with anger and hatred and destruction. The participants believe that they are the righteous and whoever disagrees with him are unrighteous. In fact, I've noticed, and you have too, that people, no matter how vile they may be in their life, they will march and call you and I unrighteous because we don't support them in their sin. In recent years, the most attended marches and protests in the United States, and by the way, in 2017 alone, there were 4,296 protests in the United States. Over 4,000 protests in 2017 alone. So each year, and this last year in the United States, the most attended protests were Black Lives Matter. That was number one. Number two might surprise you. It did me. I, it doesn't happen, I guess, that much down here. I haven't noticed. It doesn't happen in Hazel a lot. Number two, the number two most attended marches were for environmental protection, that is uh, climate change. Uh, people are all upset about that, apparently. And uh, number three, the third most popular was feminism, uh, women's rights, which is pro-abortion. And immigrants' rights were number four. Gay and lesbian and transgender rights were number five. And then gun control. And then next was science. People march for science. I, I didn't even know. Again, we don't get a lot of science marches in Hazel. Um, but in the end, everybody is so righteous, whether atheist, godless, Baptist or Buddhist, selfish or immoral. We still convince ourselves that we, whoever the we is, we are righteous and our cause is righteous. And if you don't support my cause, you are unrighteous. Fake righteousness is rampant in our world. But listen to me this morning. You'll never change that. It's always been that way. Most of those Pharisees who condemned Jesus, he convinced a few of them, by the way, but most of them went to their grave thinking that they were super righteous. Oh, the shock. Five minutes after they died, as they went to Judgment Day and to find out all that they supported, the shock of billions of people that on their judgment day after they die, when they're going to find out that cause that they shouted for for years and years and gave all their money for was not for anything at all. Just a waste of time. I guarantee. Don't be shocked. Do you want to be shocked on your judgment? I don't want to be shocked to find out what I'm fighting for is all a waste of time. Be careful about fake righteousness because it's just a waste of your life. 
and for this reason, fake righteousness does not work. It doesn't work. It won't make it even one step closer to true righteousness. During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. He said to, to his disciples and to anybody that was listening, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. We find out in another gospel when he said it, his disciples were stunned at that. They were shocked because even as his disciples, they themselves had seen the Pharisees as the super righteous. And they said to Jesus, oh my goodness, if they can't do it, because they're super righteous, how can any of us qualify for the kingdom of heaven? They didn't get it. They didn't see that the righteousness, the, the Pharisees' righteousness was all a fraud. It was all fake. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach them. So what is true righteousness? As David is telling us, true righteousness simply means being on the right path. Now, it is not your burden to carry that every person on the planet that you disagree with is on that path or not. Now you share the good news with them and we'll get to that. <laughs> that's on the feet. But that's not your burden. Your first concern as far as righteousness goes is you. And let everybody else worry about their righteousness. And so righteousness, true righteousness is being on the right path and that produces peace. In Isaiah chapter 32, verse 17, it says this. The fruit of righteousness will be what? Peace. And so if you're all wound up all the time, you're mad and angry, you turn on the news or you go into social media and you just, uh, and you're like, uh, maybe you're right, right now you're thinking, uh, I don't know who you're thinking about. Hope, hope it's not me. But if you're all wound up, listen to me, you don't have this peace. If you're on the right path, no matter what's around the path, even though I walk through the valley of the darkest shadows, the, the shadows of death, I will fear no evil. That's right path righteousness. That's being on the path that God has called you on. And you don't have to be that way all the time. You don't have to feel that way all the time. Your fists shouldn't, shouldn't be clutched all the time in anger. There should be peace even in the middle of the battle. And we'll get to that more in a minute. But being on the right path also greatly improves our prayer life. I always mention this when I talk about the armor of God in James chapter 5, verse 16. says this, the prayer of a righteous man or a righteous person, and not fake righteous, but really righteous person, that somebody that's on the right path is powerful and effective. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. If you're on the path that God has placed you on in life, that you're supposed to be on in life, and you're obeying God and doing what he wants you to do, and you're on that path, God listens to you in your prayer life. There are billions of paths we all can all take and you have billions of people in all kinds of paths, but there is one path, God's path, and God listens to those that are on that path more than all the other paths combined. You want your prayer answered? Be sure you're on the right path. So the breastplate of righteousness means your ability to protect yourself from evil, and it depends greatly on whether or not you're on the right path, God's path for you. Now, I told you a while ago, and this is really important. The breastplate 
And, and Paul describes it as a breastplate. The breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate was a defensive weapon. It was meant to defend you from the arrows or the bullets coming at you. Paul got that. That's the purpose of the breastplate. The breastplate is not an offensive weapon. You don't ever see somebody in the midst of a battle take off their breastplate and just start bashing people on the head with it. And Paul is very specific about why he describes the breastplate as righteousness, because it is a, a defensive weapon, not an offensive weapon. It's not the sword. That's an offensive weapon. The breastplate of righteousness is to protect you, not to use to beat everybody else up with. Are you on the right path? That path is a path of obedience to God. It's a path of submission to him. On one occasion, the story is told that Napoleon Bonaparte ordered a bulletproof coat. When the workman had completed the task, he delivered this bulletproof coat to, um, to Napoleon himself. Napoleon immediately took that bulletproof coat that had been made by that craftsman and he made the craftsman put it on. <laughs> and as soon as the craftsman a craftsman put it on, he fired six shots directly at that craftsman <laughs> to see if it'd work. And sure enough, it worked. And so he congratulated the workman and sent him on his way. You can claim to have the breastplate of righteousness that you can withstand any onslaught, but if it's not real, if it's just paper thin, you're in trouble on the battlefield of life. Next, we see the feet of readiness, the, seat, uh, the feet of readiness. And this, this is the only other one that we'll look at today. Ephesians chapter six, verse 14. If we go back to our passage, Paul says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Your feet fitted. My feet hurt right now. The shoes that I'm wearing, the dress shoes, are plastic. They were $15. I got them at Walmart. And you know, I've learned, uh, not very wisely, I, I've learned that dress shoes at Walmart for $15 look just like $100 dress shoes. They look good. I, I like them. I don't have anybody go, ooh, pastor, those are awful. They look good, but they're plastic. The difference is my feet are in pain because they're $15 plastic shoes. And if you buy shoes at Walmart, no offense, Walmart, your feet are probably going to hurt. Now I tell you, I, I, as bad as my feet hurt right now, I wouldn't go jogging. Then I'd really be in pain. I'd call 911. Feet are important, are they not? Now, when you're young, young people, you don't know this, but your feet are important and you're going to wake up in pain one day and you're going to, hey, what's going on? The bones in your feet are going to go in different directions and, oh my goodness, feet are important in the Bible. They're mentioned nearly 400 times throughout the Bible. All kinds of story from Mephibosheth who, had, who was crippled in both feet in the Old Testament, uh, and all the way through the gospel and, and on. In Matthew chapter 28, when the women came to the tomb and Jesus appeared to them, they grabbed his feet. They bowed down before him and grabbed his feet. In Philippians chapter two, it says every 
Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In that great scene in heaven, as we are face down, what's going to be right in front of us are the feet of Jesus. Feet are important in the Bible. And so uh, when he talks about feet, it's, he says the feet that are fitted, that means you need to put your shoes on, tie them up with the readiness. Now, what does readiness mean? That's what he says, readiness. Well, it means to be grounded in the gospel. Actually, what he actually says is, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. To be grounded in the gospel. It refers to the idea of steadiness. With this meaning, Paul says that we are to have our feet grounded firmly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just something that we do tacked on as a footnote of our life, no pun intended, but as a basis for our life. Because if you're not sure about your salvation, you're not going to be able to defeat the enemy. And so it has to be there. It has to be the feet. You're sure footing in a spiritually slippy world. So here's the irony to this passage. He speaks of peace here as well. Your feet writ, uh, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, here's why it's ironic. Do, do you catch that? This whole passage, he's talking about going into war, fighting a battle against spiritual forces. And you're in the middle of this war and you have peace. How is that possible? Because usually peace comes after the war. But here he says, even in the midst of fighting, you and I should be grounded in the gospel that brings peace. How can we have peace? It's an important question. We're in the midst of a fallen world, a time of war within ourselves and with others. How can we have peace? If you look back again in Psalm chapter 23, David, the shepherd, he's writing as a sheep, talking about God as the shepherd, says something so profound that shouldn't be possible. He says to God, you, speaking to God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I'm in the midst of battle. I don't care. I can sit down and have a meal. Doesn't matter. That's somebody who has peace because he knows God will protect him. David knew that kind of peace in the midst of battle. No anxiety, no fear, no problem. He just, peace. And he says the gospel is that way. Are you ready? He said that your feet is fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Paul would be saying that we are to always have our battle shoes on. You can't hike the Grand Canyon in flip-flops. You can't run a marathon barefooted. You can't run, and I can tell you this in Texas, you can't run through a field of stickers in your socks. Your feet need to be fitted with readiness for whatever you're going to be doing. As soon, oh, as soon as I get home, I'm taking these shoes off and I'm going to put on the most comfortable shoes I have. Unless I need to go out and go hiking or Cherry makes me go exercising, then I put on my jogging shoes for that or whatever I need to do. Your shoes should match what you're going to be doing in your life. And spiritually, we are being attacked by Satan. We're in the middle of this spiritual war and our feet need to be fitted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I would race my brothers and sisters as a kid, I have two brothers and two sisters, 
Everything was erased, by the way. I've learned that as a parent. I've been reminded of that. When your children are young, you can't go from the house to the car. You can't do anything without it being erased. Everything is erased. And sometimes I don't know it was erased until after it's over. When my kid says, I win, you lose. And I go, what? what? I didn't know it was a race. But when I was a kid, as I would race my brothers and sisters, you knew that the race was about to begin, whatever the race was, with these magic words, ready, set, go. And I knew, and they knew that when the word go was shouted, you should go. Well, this is what Paul is saying to you and I spiritually. Ready, set, go. Be ready. Have your feet fitted. Be ready for the race because it's begun. Isaiah chapter 52, verse seven says it this way. What a great verse. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Good news, the Greek word for good news is, gospel, is the word gospel. Who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen to me. There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is powerful. Satan can't fight that. He can't defeat that. He has no weapons against that. The gospel that brings peace. The war is here. We're in the battle. Is your armor in place? Are you on the right path? God's path, are you ready to fight? Are you at peace in this world of turmoil? Pray with me. Father, as we come to you today, we thank you for these powerful pieces of armor. I pray that you would help us to discern what is the difference between true righteousness in this world and false righteousness. Remind us that righteousness is not just something that we make up or whatever we say it is, that you're the only one that's truly righteous in this universe. Your path is always straight and always right. Your mind is always perfect. Your words are always pure. And the only path that we can find ourselves on that is the right path is your path. Father, help us to stay on that path. Help us to see you as our good shepherd. Lead us, guide us down paths of righteousness, down right paths for your name's sake. Father, may our feet be fitted with a gospel that brings peace. Maybe we'll be ready. May we have our shoes on knowing that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is powerful and it alone can bring peace in this dark world. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you where you are? Are you wearing this armor? Are you on the right path today? Or the wrong path? You know, God will guide you. Will you do what David did? Go to God and say, God, I want you as my shepherd. I need you. Every hour I need you. Would you put me on the right path? If you don't know that path, his name is Jesus Christ. He is the way. 
the truth, and the life. And it's only through him that you can come to the Father. That's what the Bible says. That's the path. Are you ready for the onslaught this week? Do you have the gospel of readiness, of peace in your life? Or are you all in turmoil all the time? Are you mad a lot? Frustrated a lot? Fearful all the time? Listen to me. God wants to replace that with peace. Only the peace he can give. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you right now. Maybe you want to come up and kneel at the altar and just pray. God, help me to be on this path. Give me this strength. Give me this armor. Or maybe you need to say, I've been off the path and I need to follow Jesus as my shepherd. I surrender to him. And maybe God is calling you or your family to join with this fellowship and say, we want to be members here at First Baptist Church. We want to fight this battle together with these believers here in the kingdom. Or maybe you want to come and confess Jesus and say, Pastor, I want to be baptized. I want to surrender my life to Christ. If God is calling right now, this invitation is for you. No one's looking around. Would you stand? Everyone stand. All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. As you pray right now, you can come.